It's worked so far, but we're not out yet. I wanna know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I wanna know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to the first live episode of Enterprising Individuals. Woo! Thank Ow. you. The Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Caliban, and I, to this day, cannot eat a slice of apple without saying, I don't like to lose. It really freaks out the people at Whole Foods, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I'm joined on this special episode by a panel of distinguished guests. First up to my right... He's an author and three-time winner of the Strange New Worlds writing competition. He's written many novels and short stories set in the Star Trek universe. There they are. The most recent being the original series novel, The Shocks of Adversity. There it is. Doing a great visual thing here, too, for our podcast. He's also a former Enterprising Individuals guest, where he appeared on our episode about the Star Trek animated series episode yesteryear. Please welcome William Leisner. Thank you. Next up. She is a science fiction and fantasy writer of the Dead Rivers and Elania's Song series, and she's the author of the Locus and Hugo Award-winning short story, Cat Pictures, Please, which will be, be released <laughs> as a full-length YA novella in the near future. She's also a political blogger in the Twin Cities, and she's a Convergence 2017 guest of honor. Meet Naomi Kritzer. Hello. He's the author of The Ark and Triton's Forge, and his new book, Children of the Divide, the third entry in the Children of a Dead Earth series, will be out August 1st. He's also a stand-up comedian and a political blogger and contributor to TheHill.com. Ask him about his Mustang. It's Patrick Tomlinson. And last but not least, he's an illustrator and a comic artist who has worked for Marvel, DC, Image, Malibu Comics, and more. He was the regular series artist on the Young Justice comic book as well as providing art for the Batman Strikes, Justice League Adventures, and Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, in addition to working on properties such as Kolchak, Reanimator, Gargoyles, and his most recent work on the Titan Comics Doctor Who, the third Doctor series. He's the chief creative officer and the creator of Convergence mascots Connie, Mark II, and Professor Max, and has served on the Convergence Board of Directors. Please say hello to Christopher Jones. Ooh. I'm exhausted from Did I miss listening to my own bio. Anything. Yeah, we'll do the rest on the second show. Uh, welcome all of you to the show. Uh, you're all granted permission to come aboard. Tonight we'll be talking about what I would term a modern classic, although in the 35 years since its release, it's only grown in the public's estimation. It's a film that defined what audiences expected from their space science fiction and one that continues to shape and affect the world of Star Trek today. It's also probably guilty of making the literary illusion a popular choice when you're writing a villain's dialogue. We usually cover television episodes on the podcast, but for a big convention like Convergence, we need a bigger subject. And that's why we're talking about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan tonight. And we'll get to that a little later in the show. Usually at this point on the episode, I ask my guests about their backstory, how they be first became a Star Trek fan. But tonight we get to hear several backstories. Uh, let's start with Bill, who's been on the show previously. Uh, when we had talked before, you had said that you were a fan of the animated series and the original mm -hmm. series when you were growing up. Right. And you watched that uh, when you were a kid, Saturday mornings? Or? Right, yeah, uh, Saturday morning. When the, and uh, I remember that the original series was 7 o'clock on Channel 10 every Saturday as I was growing up. And I was, that was appointment television for me when I was <laughs> sure. a little one. How did that lead to you uh, writing books for, for Star Trek? Uh, I started uh, to seriously consider writing in college. Uh, I was a television production major and uh, got into script writing through that. Uh, and at that time, Next Generation was on the air and they were the only s series that had an open script policy where you didn't need an agent to submit a script. So I started writing spec scripts. Uh, I did a spec script for Deep Space Nine, sent that in. And that got me an invitation to come out to Los Angeles and pitch them other story ideas. Uh, nothing quite came of that. I tried a couple of times pitching stories. Uh, and then I decided to start doing my Star Trek story ideas in prose form. Uh, around that time, Pocket Books started up their Strange New Worlds 
writing competition for amateur writers. Uh, entered that, and uh, as you mentioned up at the top of the show, I managed to uh, win that contest a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And after that, they, I was invited to pitch some novels. And the rest is history. The rest is future history, yeah. Yes. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw The Wrath of Khan? I actually do not, because this was it, it was not in the theater. Right. Uh, it had it had to have been on VHS. Sure. Right. Anybody here who does not know what a VHS is? <laughs> well, yeah, we should cover all the <laughs> basics before we move forward. Uh, Naomi, how about you? So I have some very dim memories of watching the animated series when I was very very young, um, but I I didn't start watching it regu- watching Star Trek regularly until I was in middle school, at which point um, my family had finally belatedly gotten to me had <laughs> belatedly gotten a VCR, and I could uh, I could set it and record the uh, reruns, which at the time were aired at like midnight in my area. Right. Um, so I would tape them and then watch them the next day, um, and. Uh, I, I remember being incredibly excited when uh, the Next Generation started airing. Right. Um, I was I was ecstatic. Uh, I loved the fact that it was now where no one has gone before instead of no man. <laughs> yeah. um, I I I really liked the character of Wesley because I was in the precise demographic of teenagers who were too smart for their own good for, for whom sure, Wesley right. was going to be like an awesome character instead. That's of who that character, character was for. Okay. Um, yeah, he was really for me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I, I, my, my, my best friend and I both watched the show and then would talk about it by phone immediately afterwards. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I don't remember when I first watched The Wrath of Khan. It must have been on VCR. Sure. Um, it was probably during one of my middle school summers when, when my best friend May and I would take our bikes and ride down to the local video rental store every afternoon and return the tape we had rented yesterday and rent a new tape and bring it home um, and then watch it. And we watched uh, tons and tons of movies that summer, including uh, a bunch of James Bond movies and probably all the Star Trek movies were, were that were out at that point, sure. um, which were the, the first three. Um, the first one I actually saw in the theaters was number four. Okay, so. sure. Pat? Um, I started watching Star Trek when I was nine years old, and I was sick as hell. <laughs> I was I was a you know staying home from school because I like you know fever, flu, the whole nine yards, and it was so bad I couldn't sleep. And I snuck out of my bedroom because I was just kind of I was feverish, couldn't couldn't get to bed, sweats, the whole thing. And my dad had fallen asleep on the couch, so <laughs> the the TV was still on, and I didn't have anything to do. Sure, and on our little, so it's like 1989, our little black and white TV in our living room on channel three out of Madison, <laughs> um, Star Trek was on sure. at midnight. Same, same sort of thing. I, you know, I mid- grew up in Madison. So oh, did you? Okay. Well, we watched <laughs> it. We <laughs> probably saw the same. Anyway, so, uh, you know, channel three midnight uh, episodes of, of Star Trek, uh, the original series, and, and which was already old by that time. Right. And... There was I, that happened two nights in a row, and so I was watching it as so many people did back in the '60s and black on a black and white TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, f- the first episode of Star Trek I ever saw was I remember it distinctly was Spock's brain, and <laughs> that's how I Classic. got started. And I was like, "This is kind of cool, right?" And then the then the second one was Balance of Terror, so they were showing sure. them completely out of order. Sure, uh, but you know whatever. I and yeah, I was just I was I was absolutely hooked. Sure, and by that time. Uh, Next Gen was already a couple of seasons in. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that at the time. And then found out that that was an ongoing thing and watched Next Gen every week, you know, all the way through. Yeah. Probably the first time I saw and seen every episode of everything and every movie <laughs> right. ever yeah. since, you know. Um, one of the few people who likes Enterprise and will defend it because that was a great series and a lot of you are missing a lot of great not only characterizations but incredible ship designs and just and and great stories and especially by the time you get to the fourth season that was just fan candy all the way through that thing anyway um but the first time i saw uh star trek uh Khan was my dad before we um before we went to see star trek six in the theater got the box set of everything that was out on VHS up to that point. Mm. We just consumed it. Nice. You know, 
Um, and and Star Trek Two really really stuck out for me, just like it did for almost everybody. Sure. Yeah. This is the third uh, Trek panel I've been on at the con so far, and the third mention of Spock's brain. So we're on <laughs> something. Illuminati confirmed, I think. Um, Chris, what about you? get hooked. It's just yeah, yeah, right. So it's like candy, that yeah. one. <laughs> uh, Spock's brain. Uh, no, um, <laughs> That's four. Um, I, I grew up watching Star Trek in reruns in spite of uh, living in southern Minnesota and not having access to the Midnight Madison feed. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, so I don't I don't really remember my introduction to it. I know I I loved it and and watched it at every opportunity and and just really was invested in that universe and the technology and the ships and all of that. Um, I I I have a clearer recollection in my mind of first seeing the trailer for the first star trek movie more than i have a recollection of seeing either of those the first two movies uh in the theater uh although i'm sure i did but the 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 point at which star trek 2 the wrath of khan really got burned into my brain was actually after i graduated from high school and was and you cheated on the kobayashi Maru yes <laughs> okay. no um <laughs> I, I, I was at art school in chicago and was um, uh, hanging out with a friend of mine in the dorm, and he had a uh, uh, a laser disc player. Nice. Not, uh, sorry, not a. What was the one that was the? Um, it was like a record in a sleeve, actually. Oh yeah, laser disc. Video no, disc no, player. No, video disc. He had yeah. a video disc player wow. and had a video disc copy of The Wrath of Khan. I watched and Excalibur on one of those things. The number of <laughs> times it was terrible. <laughs> I can't count the number of times we watched uh, Wrath of Khan. So there was uh, those. These days are long gone, but there were days where I could just about recite the movie from start to finish. Um, but yeah, I love it to bits, and I mean it's such a great movie on so many levels. But I mean, I would argue that you know, without without getting ahead of ourselves, that the the scene where Kirk goes to speak to Spock about needing the ship to go on a mission. In that one scene, they perfectly encapsulate the entire relationship between Kirk and Spock in a few lines of iconic, almost poetic dialogue. Mm. And you just can't top that. So, yeah, that's my love for Wrath of Khan. I have to ask, the video disc version, was it like a director's cut or did it have the um, extra it, TV it, scenes? No, it was the theatrical cut and because of the technology, halfway through the movie you actually had to take the disc out right. and flip it and put it right. back in. <laughs> it was it was an analog system. It was, okay, it all was right. literally a, if, if you guys aren't familiar with video disc, because they only made it for three months or something. <laughs> um, it was it, it was a, it came, it was like a big three-inch floppy disk almost, you know? Pretty like, much. Because it, it came in its own own plastic sleeve, and inside of it was an, an just like an old uh, 45 or, or 78 record. Okay. And it played like that, except it was it was both audio and, and video feed. And you, n- you never handled it. You basically put the oh, you sleeve touch like yeah. a cassette <laughs> into the machine yeah. and pulled it out, leaving the readable part of it in the machine. So yeah, it's it was a weird contraption, but yeah, it allowed it allowed us to watch uh, Wrath of Khan, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, and a few other movies far more times than was probably healthy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just out of curiosity, does everybody have a favorite Star Trek film? It doesn't have to be Wrath of Khan. It is though. Okay. Um, boy. Into Darkness. Yes, Into Darkness. <laughs> Um, honestly, I I love Into Darkness. I think it's a fucking spectacular film, and I think people hate it for all the wrong reasons. Um, but of the original series films, uh, probably Star Trek VI. I think it has the best. I think it has the best, most uh, most internally cohesive plot. I think mm-hmm. that its characterizations and and uh, uh, character interactions are some of the best of of that franchise. And I think that it it. It does a real service to all of those characters in the way that they sent them off. I don't disagree. Sorry, Nomi, just one sec. Um, but I did hear a complaint earlier today that it turns our heroes into old space racists. Yeah, that happens to everybody. <laughs> I think yeah, that's part of the plot, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Naomi? Can I say Galaxy Quest? <laughs> yes, you may say Galaxy Quest. 
And thank you for saying Galaxy Quest. <laughs> uh, One thing, as though they didn't hate the Klingons the entire time. No, they all right, just, did. You know, they were all, yeah. all right, anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and uh, First Contact is the one that I enjoy the most. Okay, sure. Uh, the Borg are always uh, good for a laugh yep. or an assimilation. <laughs> uh, usually at this point in the show, I ask the guest why they chose this particular episode, but I chose this um, in a fit of Captain's prerogative uh, because, as you know, Wrath of Khan recently celebrated its 35th anniversary. Uh, here's some boring facts about the film. Uh, it was originally released on June 4th, 1982, and at a budget of $11 million, which is way less than the $46 million budget of the motion picture. Uh, it went on to make $79 million in its initial release, making it the fifth most successful Trek film adjusted for inflation behind Star Trek Into Darkness, Star Trek IV, Star Trek The Motion Picture, <laughs> and 2009's Star Trek. And just out of curiosity and apropos of nothing except what I just said, what do you guys think about the current slate of films, the new Trek films? Love them. Love them. Love them. Don't care for them. Don't care. <laughs> I liked the first one, but I haven't seen Into Darkness. Oh. I just never got around to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my feelings are really mixed. Actually, the most recent one's my favorite of the three. Okay. Um, I... Yeah, I mean, it, it, we could do another whole panel just on that. But uh, there, there's definitely things I like about them. There's things I have some quibbles with, but I enjoy them. The f I just need to say the first 10 minutes of Star Trek Into Darkness is the single best episode of the original series ever put on film. Okay. Go, go back, and if you haven't watched it, go back and watch it. It is 60 minutes, well, 42 minutes or whatever an episode is, condensed down into 10. This is where they're running from the, uh, the natives. And yeah, when they're running from the natives and the, the volcano's volcano. about to blow, and right. all of a sudden they've got this, you know, they've, they've, they've got an ethical dilemma that they have to overcome, and Spock doesn't want to go along with the plan, and of course Kirk's like, fuck Spock, we're going to do what, <laughs> right. you know, and, and right. he's like, we're going to save him instead, you know, so there's, there's the whole prime directive thing thrown in. It is, it is the entire original series just crammed The length down of an Adult it's, Swim episode. It's awesome. Yeah. It's right. just awesome. Okay, I can see that. Uh, Jack Sowers receives the screenplay credit in the film. Uh, he and Harvey Bennett, or Harv Bennett, produced. Um, he's the producer. They wrote the story. Uh, but the real story of the script is much more complicated. It was essentially written by Nicholas Meyer, the director of the film, based on several different drafts by Sowers, Bennett... Uh, famed sci-fi writer Theodore Sturgeon and Samuel A. Peoples uh, contributed as well. Um, Nick Meyer directed it. Uh, he was a novelist and screenwriter. He adapted his own Sherlock Holmes novel, The 7% Solution, into a screenplay. Um, he made his directing debut in 1979, directing his own script for Time After Time, which was the H.G. Wells' Jack the Ripper movie. Uh, and there's two specific dates given for the action of the film. The star date 8130.3 is said during the training simulator sequence. And of course, the opening title card helpfully says, in the 23rd century. So that's where we're at. Uh, crew, or panel. As always at this part in the show, your assignment, if you can, is to give us a 25-word synopsis of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. But as a Starfleet crew, you must always work together as a team, a team with no interpersonal conflicts, because this is the 23rd century, of course. <laughs> Therefore, you must create a 25-word synopsis, one word at a time, starting here with Bill. You each get six words in sequence. I'll provide the last word. May God have mercy on your souls. The. Past. Ricardo. <laughs> what? So far, so good. Let me, let me be clear. The past Ricardo. Yes. <laughs> Character. Mm. Returns. Two. Revenging. <laughs> Ways, <laughs> even semantically correct. Good, good save. Good save. <laughs> and don't overthink it. Go with your gut. The God. <laughs> <laughs> Captain must stop them. Genesis. Uh, <laughs> Device. <laughs> Exploding. Spock. Dies. <laughs> New sentence. Saving. Enterprise. From. Kirk. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So. <laughs> that was uh, very, very good. It oh, was I didn't realize we were at the end. Yeah, <laughs> it was your Kobayashi Maru. There was no right answer. Right. It's a test of character. You <laughs> all passed. Clearly not. Rathacon, more than any other Trek film, um, even I think than a lot of the episodes of the show, has come to define the franchise. Um, you've got your humpback whales and your what does God do with a starship and <laughs> endless, endless pans of the Enterprise in dry dock. But it's oh, continued. I could have I done that for an hour, man. <laughs> I, oh, it's the best. It, it keeps resonating with fans and even non-fans for years. I know people who have never seen an episode of the show and this is their favorite movie and they love the movies. Um, so as writers and creators, why do you think this has stuck around for so long? Anyone well, of you? I, I got, I've got an answer. Go for no it. I mean, not only is it a very, very uh, well-written and directed and acted story, but it takes, I think so, it, I think it, but it, I think it takes turn. full advantage of the history of having these actors who have played these characters uh, for, at that time, approaching 20 years, um, and, and, you know basically has them dealing with things from their past and dealing with getting older and all these things that have huge emotional resonance for fans that have been following it since since the original ep- series episode Space Seed. Yeah, I, th- I think that it was the first time that, or, well, I mean, obviously only the second going for, for Star Trek as a film franchise, but as far it, it was the first time anything we'd seen with Trek at that point had kind of really shrunk down and become personal. Like, because during the series where it's every week we're going out, we're we're doing some crazy thing. It's like, oh, okay, well, the god Apollo's pissed. Um, We'll deal with that. Oh, space hippies. Also, we've got space gangsters, and we've got a Nazi planet, and just what the hell? Um, But, you know, and we're we're working through all of these different things. um, But we're we haven't ever like, and there's always you know the the characters are are important and their interactions are important but they were background to just solving the problem or the monster of the week or whatever and it was it remained true in um star trek the motion picture which was basically just the episode with nomad um just blown up you know way bigger and wrath of khan was the first time that's like it was really character driven like now, instead of going out and exploring everything, we're we're shrinking back down, and we're talking about the we're talking about the people on a very personal level, and their their relationships. I mean, the whole the whole narrative, the whole plot is driven by this interpersonal relationship that gets dredged up from 15 years in the past between Kirk and and Khan, mm-hmm. and the 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 struggle of of intellect and 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 valor that goes on between between those two characters it isn't about the galaxy it isn't about exploring exploring the galaxy it's about them in some ways for the first time yeah you complimented the script for star trek 6 earlier but i think that star trek 2 is pretty much on par with that in terms of just its structure written by the same guy you know clearly yeah i mean nicholas myers directed star trek 2 but Mm -hmm. actually wrote and directed 6 and it shows yeah the, the thing I would say about Star Trek II is that is, it is thematically very coherent um, in that there are a couple of interlocking themes that are present through the whole movie. Um, you have the theme of the past coming back to haunt somebody, which is in the form of both Khan turning up again um, and wanting revenge, but also um, reflected in the existence of David, um, who, you know, I think I think this is the first he's ever been referenced. Yeah, he yeah. shows up in, yeah, and, and of course it and makes... And Dr. Marcus, too, is it, she's no, never mentioned right, either. She's never <laughs> mentioned before, but it makes perfect sense that Kirk, in his, you know, many oh God. Yeah, past... No, yeah, of course he's got a son. David's <laughs> not the only one. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. no yeah. way. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, you know, but so you, you see both, like, sort of... The, this aspect of Kirk's past turning up and this other aspect of Kirk's past turning up in the same movie. So you have that, that theme reflected in two different ways. You have the, the theme of self-sacrifice reflected throughout the movie, both in terms of like the Kobayashi Maru being an unwinnable situation. Um, and you, know, you're, you, you end up sacrificing your ship to try to save this other ship. Um, Unless you're Kirk. Unless you're Kirk, right? Uh, you have uh, you have the um, the gift, the tale of two cities, which is a book which ends in a character sacrificing himself to save somebody else. Uh, you have Spock's death. No obviously. foreshadowing there. No foreshadowing. Yeah, um, and uh, and you have uh, you have Khan who is willing to sacrifice everyone around him on his you know sort of ins- insane quest to destroy uh, Kirk. 
Well, and I liked the I liked the mirror also between you had the you had you had you know the the crew centered obviously with Kirk, but then you also had the cr- uh, forces of creation and destruction. Yeah. Um, and the force of creation was in was in the the main female character Carol Marcus. Mm-hmm. You know, she's literally creating worlds, and she's also a mother character. She mothered Kirk's child, and right. you have then then you have Khan, who's a, a, a defeated enemy who's come back from the past to destroy absolutely right. everything. And you have the, and he has to manage both of them. Right. And you have the name of the Genesis device. I mean, yeah. you have the, just literally a reference. To, um, to creation, and it's this device that can both create and destroy. It mm. can either be its you know great watch well, out. We yeah. can do both. Yeah, terraforming out. tool, <laughs> or it can destroy everything. Uh, on the top, were you going to say something, Bill? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I think that part of what makes Star Trek II stand above so many others is today we would call it a hard reboot of the Star Trek universe. It really put aside everything from Star Trek one, other than the fact that Kirk is an admiral. Mm-hmm. It, but it reinvented, you know, it brought back the colors to the, to the uniforms. It's, I love those uniforms too. Yeah. So and that's, that's it, all. And it, 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 it really reinvigorated the franchise after you know what was you know not not a spectacular story yeah. in Star Trek One. Luke warmly received. I think a lot a lot of that um, sort of nautical elements were brought in specifically by Meyer, yeah. who wanted to. He saw it as Horatio Hornblower in space, apparently not knowing that that was Gene Roddenberry's original inspiration for the thing. So it's a nice bit of convergent evolution there. Mm. Um, on the topic of themes, Star Trek by its nature is concerned with. Um, didacticism, you know, that there's always something to be taught, something to be learned, uh, which leads to our segment on this show, Captain's Flog, the themes that Star Trek loves to beat into the audience. Can you identify a theme in the film that you'd hold out as being either particularly effective or conversely one is that's used too much and the franchise could stand to just maybe put down for a while? I would throw out there um, the idea of the past coming back to haunt you. It's something effective in literature, but it just seems like every single film now after this is something like that. Yeah, and uh, I was the theme of you know facing mortality. Yeah, which uh, you know, of course, this was really the first one, but it, they kept hitting that on and on. Yeah, the movies. yeah, really. Yeah, the theme of getting old. Yeah, that was yeah. something. Yeah. I, I was going to say that the, the the one that struck me is um, the theme ever popular in Star Trek of like you know. Uh, the war has a terrible cost, which they show you by killing nameless extras. Um, which uh, they, they, terrible, they were terrible, very, terrible losses. They yeah. very conscientiously <laughs> had the character they were going to kill introduce himself in an earlier scene. Right. Hi. But all he, all he got to say is like, hi, my name is whatever it was. You know, like, right. I am, I, oh I, I am a, a bright eyed, somewhat small trainee. And so then, then he's the one whose body Scotty is holding later. Right. He never left his post. And I mean, you know, like, that's his um, cousin. That's his like little nephew. Yeah. Oh, nephew. right, right. Yeah. In the in the novelization, you get much yeah, yeah. much there more thorough backstory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, Which I think is like a lot of deleted scenes are cut for a good reason. It's a little heavy-handed in the like the extended cut because yeah. I think it's enough to know that Scotty cares for the young men under his charge, yeah. and yes. this kid is exempt. You know, he's an exemplar. He did not leave his post. Right. You know, I don't. Yes, yet, I think you're he got his face right. blown you up. Don't need to know that. Why bring him to the bridge? Yeah, I know. It does seem. Yeah. And I and it's Scotty it's not fixes that I, broken machines. He doesn't know what to do with this. Right. Like, I don't, uh, where does this, radiation. Where does this go? He's so a little confused. Bones is always up here. I don't know why. <laughs> you guys seen Bones around? Bones He's always on the bridge in, for some damn reason. He's not in his drinking corner. Looking for the doctor. Thought he might be here. <laughs> based on these seventy-nine previous adventures of ours. <laughs> but I, it's not that I disagree with this as a theme. It's just that I feel like with with Star Trek, it is it is frequently you you, you know it's like. All the many episodes where, where Kirk is like, oh, they killed one of my men, and it's this red shirt who you just met, right? right. Like, it's it it's hard to take it seriously when it's always. You like, know. Do you know how much these things cost? <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> yeah. yeah, like we're all gonna die. We get it. Bring a Mugatu in or something like that. Yeah. Let's have some fun. Now that they've killed off all the characters we've never seen before, we know that the real plot's about to start. <laughs> right. Uh, any anyone else? Themes in the in the film. Uh, Themes you, the do you have one? I've got. If you got one, go yeah, ahead. Go for it. I, well, I, I agree with everything that's gone before, but this was also the film that introduced the Star Trek trope of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few Absolutely. or the one. And did that ever come up again? Like in, in any? They should have used uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> 
but mm-hmm. I, I think it's very interesting, you know, that like clearly when this was written, they were not imagining, you know, flipping that in the next film. I mean, they may, may they may have come up with ideas of a backdoor way of bringing Spock back, but I don't think they had the plot of Star Trek Three or the dialogue of Star Trek Three that thoroughly worked out. Mm-hmm. No, so in I, fact, I think it's really interesting that they set that up as a a, a just a line of dialogue that clearly like resonated and kind of became a catchphrase mm-hmm. and then spent an entire movie completely 180 degrees reversing the point of it. Yeah. And Meyer himself... Which I ref- liked. But you, yeah. Well, okay. It's a good movie. Um, Meyer refused to shoot the scenes, the final scenes of seeing the uh, torpedo coffin on Genesis. That was somebody else that shot right. that um, because he was like, no, we did it. We killed him. We went through all this trouble to bring Nimoy back because he wanted to be killed. We did it. I told the story. We're done. And so they just got some other producer to shoot those. Um, let's he got move. Somebody, he got some other producer to shoot those because they knew they were going to try and do Star Trek three. Or yeah, no, the Paramount did. Yeah, because they were like, you know, we're, for the theatrical release. Yeah, they oh. they changed okay. the script because yeah, like you were saying, it looked like well that worked out pretty well. Maybe we could just bring him back. And of course, Nimoy wanted to direct. Which he directed the next two films, so they stuck that in. I read the Wikipedia entry on this on okay. this right after I watched it, and what it said was that that Nimoy didn't want to come back for two, and they talked him into it by saying, "We'll give you an awesome dramatic death scene," and he yeah. was like, "Okay, I'm up for it." it then. Yeah, and it was originally going to be er- in the first act. But then he had so much fun making the movie. He was <laughs> like, "Actually, I would totally do another one of these," and that's why they were like, "Okay, well, we'll figure out a way to bring you back." And yeah, let's move on to our segment, uh, the Starfleet Medal of Honor. This would be a scene, moment, or character that really stands out for you in this film. Uh, multiple nominees are allowed. The best parts, the choice cuts. If everyone else is still thinking, I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier. I, to me, the scene where Kirk goes to Spock's quarters, yeah, uh, to to say that you know that they need a they need a the, they need to go on a real mission. Uh, you know, the whole you know the ship is yours scene. Uh, that whole scene just breaks me up every time. You know, when it gets to the whole thing of. Uh, what is it? If I may be so bold, it was a mistake for you to accept promotion. Being a starship captain yeah. is your first best destiny. Anything else is a waste of material. Yeah. And and Kirk says, I wouldn't presume to debate you. And Spock says, that would be wise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that <laughs> Which, is... like, that's the whole relationship yeah. right there. There's a... Uh... I'm sure most of you have seen it at some point, but there's a web comic that it's just a it's it's a, it's a one panel thing, and it's like really cart, uh, cartoonized. But there's there's Spock standing there, and and it's just like Jim, don't do the thing. And the next frame is just just Jim with his hands up in his air, going, "I'm doing the thing," and that's the whole. <laughs> and it's like, yep, that's <laughs> there it is. Um, but in like, I'm gonna skip the. I'm 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 gonna skip the entire uh, eulogy scene because I like there's a there's a few scenes in movies that make me cry every single time I see them and that one I'll never uh, I'll never fail to um, and the same with the same with you know Spock's death scene because that's just cheating um, but I th- for me I think it was when the when the Reliant uh, in the immediate aftermath of the of the first uh, attack when when Khan on their uh, Reliant comes in and and uh, uh, and disables most of the enterprise and he at the last second he comes up uh, Kirk comes up with this idea to take their shields down and and give them a give them a stinger basically just to drive them off and everybody on the bridge uh, I think I think it's Sulu I'm pretty sure is like you did it sir and Kirk turns around and snaps at him right it's just like I did nothing except get caught with my britches down and that's the like the first time you've ever seen Kirk at like admitting to really fucking something up by the numbers and really owning it you know and it's like that's a that's a powerful moment because like everybody's like trying to hold on to hope and he's like no we fucked up really bad and now guys we're on the ropes that was that was a really intense scene for me. And really up to that point you know after that point in the film they he does everything right pretty much like he pretty much okay got britches down britches up now let's get to this and they kind of mop the floor with Khan and they still lose Spock. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing where he just can't create a situation to win. This is just a situation that you're not going to get out of it. That's the no win scenario. And then Spock gets you out of it. Yeah, well, then Spock gets you out of it. Mm-hmm. Did you have a problem with uh, Shatner's acting in the film? Did you think it was all right? Or I thought you said before that 
Khan. It was no, so well, great. I mean, some of it was. I, I thought some of it was a little overdone, obviously. But it's Shatner, of course. Some yeah. of it was a little overdone. <laughs> Meyer, um, Meyer said in the director's commentary that he would run the scenes over and over again, do like 13, 14 takes. Generally, Until he was tired. Yes, this. exactly. <laughs> because he would do things like, uh, like when they're setting up the uh, dropping the shields on the Reliant it, under the pretense of giving the data, and he says, "Here it comes." Like he would do like a, "Here it comes," <laughs> <laughs> and Meyer's like. He's a super genius. He's going to understand this. So they, you know, it was like 8 p.m. Everybody's wanting to go home, and he's finally like, "Here it comes," and like, "That's it. That's what that's, I want. That's the one I want." Yeah. yeah. No, I like that. So what you're saying is like the the problems that I had with Shatner's acting in the movie is the least <laughs> agarious <laughs> examples on film. Okay, sure. gotcha. Yeah. I uh, okay. So the moment that I would that I I would bring up is the is the moment where. Um, They've, you know, Spock went down and they've like, you know, they they were waiting for the Genesis device. They were trying to get it, you know, up on the bridge. Mm -hmm. And Kirk hadn't noticed that Spock had left. And so then, you know, they they got out of there. They just barely made it. And he's like, Scotty, way to go. Like, you're awesome. And then somebody somebody says, I think you'd better come down to engineering. Mm. And that's when he's in like, he looks at Spock's chair. And like that's he, rough. And then he knows. He already he knows. He knows yeah. right then exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. Like it's like a that, yeah. th- that gut punch moment is a really, really strong. And one. it's guilty. It's a guilty thing too. Like I, like, he, like his hand is caught in the cookie jar. You know, yeah. he knows that this is the, the cost that they had to pay to get yeah. out of this. Yeah. And that that's and that that's actually what got them out of there. Yeah, that's a great moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, of course there's the death scene that fo- immediately follows, and one thing that I've Noticed rewatching it re- recently uh, when Kirk gets down to engineering and he's charging for uh, the field, it and McCoy holds him back. And I just and realized, Scotty. and Scotty, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I really, I it, it struck me that that was pretty much a mirror of the scene from City on the Edge of Tomorrow where Kirk is holding McCoy back to st- from stopping. Oh, to, to okay, oh, sure. Yeah. And that, that that kind of I you know I I'm pretty sure it wasn't intentional, but that really kind of struck me as a really cool little moment. Yeah, you guys pick such good ones. Um, I I'll pick a dumb one. Uh, I like the uh, the Genesis sequence video uh, when they're That's showing cool. what yeah. it does. Um, the, the effects are dated now, obviously, but they were state of the art are right they, then. Are they really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They look pretty good. It looks so. like the inside yeah. of a virtual boy. It's yeah. so bad. <laughs> well, yeah, um, but they were done by ILM at the time, and it, of course, it's a video to sell Genesis. But ILM was kind of selling their services as well. They put mm-hmm. all of their uh, work into this to go, "Hey, check us out," and it impressed somebody because it impressed uh, Steve Jobs to drop five million dollars to buy the computer graphics division of ILM, which became. Pixar, of course. Yep. So that's how we got that. Um, Trek really starts to find its self-referential comedy legs in the feature films, um, culminating in Row, Row, Row Your Boat, I guess, and <laughs> Star Trek V, and then being buried uh, forever. Uh, tell me some of your favorite jokes or comedy bits from The Wrath of Khan. In a little segment I like to call, Take My Wharf, Please. <laughs> <laughs> I can stretch out. I can get oh, in. no, there's, a, there's oh, a scene uh, spoken in Vulcan, one of the very few times you ever hear Vulcan actually spoken mm-hmm. between uh, Spock and Sarek, and it was right after, I'm sorry, not Sarek, uh, uh, Savick, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, anyway, spoken between Spock and Savick when um, Kirk has just arrived, and she's met him for the first time, and he's gone uh, he's gone through the, the review of, of all the cadets or whatnot, um, and then storms off, and, and she's just like, he's uh, it was was that him really? And Spock's like, yeah, that was, yeah. Um, she's like, he's so human. And he's like, nobody's perfect. That was, I thought that was <laughs> that was pretty great because you could you could see a legend built up around this guy, right, you know, right. obviously, right. and um, then to see him in person and just to. It was it was the beginning of the movie of him just kind of getting knocked down a peg, mm-hmm. which happened repeatedly. Actually, through in fact, a lot of Star Trek Two is like the the big the the big plot, the big moments that the plot hinges on is Kirk getting knocked down a peg, mm-hmm. you know, all the, uh, culminating in Spock's death, you know, to make up for, to to atone for and and save everyone from Kirk's uh, from from the ghosts of Kirk's past. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a fun thing about that 
scene between Savick and Spock, for anyone who doesn't know, is it was originally filmed with him speaking the lines in English. Mm-hmm. They decided in post-production to change it to Vulcan and redubbed the, the uh, dialogue, but they had to come up with Vulcan language words that match the existing lip movements. So if you watch it, their lip movements exactly track with the English translation at the bottom oh of the gosh, screen. Oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, as for comedy moments, uh, when their uh, Kirk and party are coming up to the ship for the inspection tour on the shuttle, uh, Kirk says to Sulu, well, I'm glad you're going to be on board the ship for this because I don't think these kids can drive. Yeah. yeah. And then when they actually get ready to pull out dry dock, Spock takes a look at Kirk. <laughs> not, qu- not quite smirking, but you, you can tell he wants to smirk. And he turns to Savick and goes, have you ever taken the ship out of dry dock? Right. You have the center chair. <laughs> and, and then there's Kirk going, Oh yeah! <laughs> oh yeah! He lo- he was a wreck. He was a yeah. nervous wreck. It's like a kid funny. backing out of the garage for the first time. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you like a tranquilizer? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a tranquilizer? <laughs> I think the, the just the reveal that the that the opening scene is actually a training a tr- you know a training yeah, exercise yeah, a, yeah. is a pretty good sort of like fooled you kind of moment, and then everybody talking about you know how they how they how they handled their dramatic deaths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. McCoy saying. <laughs> Physician yeah. healed thyself. Right. Mm-hmm. How's my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Uh, apparently, they put that in because word had leaked that Spock uh, died in the film, and so they put that in to sort of fake people out um, early in the film. Interesting. Yeah. So was the, the whole Kobayashi Maru subplot like something that they added because of the leak? I think maybe just having them um, sort of be the senior staff be part of the simulation oh, and everything okay. like that. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, the thing about the, uh, what, the, the, the whole Kobayashi Maru thing came from that movie, right? Like yeah, that was so it's Because it's such mm-hmm. an iconic piece yeah. of no, Trek. It's, it's not even an iconic piece of Trek. You can say Kobayashi Maru to yeah. normies and they normies. know what you're talking about. Right. Right. That, that is now part of the popular culture. Popular culture, culture yeah. yeah. I think my favorite comedy part or one of them is the elevator sequence where Kirk and Savick are having this moment and he's really actually trying to mentor her. And they get done, and the doors open, and Bones is like, who's been holding up the damn elevator? (laughs) And then in a great piece of, short little piece of characterization, she walks out, and he's like, did you change your hair? I don't know. It's great stuff around me in the nail. Like, they just, little lips, (laughs) they they speak in, like, this compressed sort of uh, dialogue. Um, We are running out of time. We really have to move on here. Um, So let's get to our sort of final thoughts. Did you have any um, final thoughts or sort of parting shots about the film? Well, not to uh, crap all over it, but... <laughs> after all this time. After all this time, but uh, ha- having rewatched it recently, I find, myself, I find that I don't feel it holds up. Hmm. The whole idea that they were sending this ship out to the SETI Alpha system, and they didn't remember that Khan was there, they didn't remember how many planets were there, uh, they did remember what the qualities of those planets were. It's like, what, wasn't there a you know class M planet in the system at one point in time? Right. And and then uh, and it's I don't like, mind the fact. Like, I don't mind the it's fact. It's not like that SETI Alpha is really super far away from us either. It's like <laughs> right, right over there. Right. <laughs> and I don't mind the fact that you know Khan recognizes Chekhov. I I will accept the fact that Chekhov was lower decks during season one, mm-hmm. but the fact that he didn't remember, he didn't know anything until. They get on there, and he goes, Botany Bay. Botany Bay. Hmm. Botany Bay. (gasps) (laughs) Right. Mm. Yeah, the the entire plot hinges on this willful willful forgetfulness. There must be... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I guess guess the uh, the gloss I'd give on that is that Kirk at the end of Space Seed didn't enter it in the logs or erased it from the logs. Because, because in fact, marooning people is not... Standard procedure. It's not really right. something he but, should but have been doing. Right. This is still a charted system. He's not going to yeah. erase a charted system yeah, from a log. That's, okay. <laughs> that's like SETI Alpha's what? Seven light years from us yeah. or something like that. It's yeah. right next door. But yeah, anyway. just, yeah. The fact that yeah, the fact that no one noticed that that there was a, it, that they were specifically investigating this planet for the purposes of using the Genesis device on it, and they didn't check. You know, like that, that it didn't. 
twig, nobody twigged to the fact that there used to be more planets in this system and that one of them blew up, you know, like that one of them blew up and maybe that's And why in the last 15 in the years, last 15 there's years? no debris field from just, right. planet yeah. or the planet that just blew up. One yeah. planet got completely knocked out of its orbit. Mm. The, bit that, the, bit, the two bits, the twin bits that, that drove me a little crazy when I rewatched were, uh, first of all, like we've, you know, Everyone's dead except for these two people who are, thank goodness, alive and, and told us that like Khan abused us and tried to, tried to force us to betray you, but we were strong and we didn't. And oh, by the way, can we come with you? Oh yeah, sure. Like none of the, maybe, maybe take five minutes and have the doctor check them out. Like, I, you know, or, or just say, no, I'm, I'm afraid you're gonna have to beam back up to the enterprise and, and get treated. We can't possibly put you, I mean, that made no sense. And then like, you know, 15 minutes later, we have the this isn't any sort of code right at all right no need to be concerned about the hours or, or no three days <laughs> this will yeah. take us like <laughs> yours yeah. is superior for I sure i really liked that part yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> those are the bits that didn't work for me yeah i mean the because i actually got to see it in the theater uh, about a year and a half ago because okay. they were um there's a there's a pretty big theater not too far from my house um, that does these these really cool throwback like Mondays, like well my fiance and I got to go and see all the Indiana Jones movies on the on the oh, screen. Awesome. It was spectacular. Sure. And then, um, before the before the next Star Trek movie came out, they they did a, a couple of them, including including Wrath of Khan. So I, I got to see it on the big screen for the first time, and like I was delighted um, just because I got to see it. Mm. But the pacing is painfully slow. Compared to At times, yeah, yeah, um, and it just in it's I, I I think that it's an iconic movie amongst our generation. I don't think that it's going to be an iconic movie amongst future generations. The way that say Star Wars probably will be for a hundred years or more. Okay, yeah. Um, well, rather than come up with um, a criticism, I don't disagree with any of those points. But the 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 one. A thought I had that there hadn't been a, a, a chance to share yet is uh, previous to this in Star Trek in the entire original series and even the previous big budget film uh, the, the from what we'd seen when the Enterprise is under attack the worst thing that ever happens is the camera shakes yeah, and people <laughs> rock back and forth in their seats and to see holes being blown in the side of the ship and explosions ripping through hallways and people being hurt was shocking mm -hmm. uh, to see space battle depicted that way in Star Trek. And right. that left an impression with me for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, at this point, we'll open up for a couple questions from the audience. We don't have a lot of time, but if anybody has any questions or comments for the panelists or about Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Uh, two points. At the end, you all brought up Hey, he asked for him. How could they do this? And you're right. All of that is correct. But the movie is good anyway. And I can explain all of that. You're saying, how can Starfleet not know what's going on? Sure. And pointing out flaws doesn't mean that we love it, like it any less. Sure. Yeah. There's a whole headcanon section we usually do. We don't have time for. But. <laughs> <laughs> One small point, Patrick. You said mm -hmm. that I should go watch the first ten minutes of Into Darkness. Yeah, I will. I will stand by that to the to the day I there's one con mm. whether he's young or old <laughs> and you know what when the old con comes back and he's got gray hair and he's got a few wrinkles and he's still and a his, badass and his, yeah. and his genetically chest. engineered accent that he has yeah, right. yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, he has very small wrinkles mm. right <laughs> Yeah, they, they outlawed that accent it's on very, all. Is, is very distinct Indian-Mexican accent. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> it still holds together. I, I agree. It's all fun to see. Yeah, right. Jeez. Oh, exactly. 
No, we still we still love the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Smiles, everyone. Smile. Uh, well, we're almost wrapping up here, but uh, first I want to talk. My space dad can beat up your space dad. Who's your favorite captain and why? Really quick. Janeway. Oh, Janeway. No. No. <laughs> I think you said when you were on the show before you said uh, Picard. I'm pretty sure I said Picard. Yeah. I think I'll stick by that. Okay. Uh, Cisco. I really, really like Cisco. Sure. Boy, that's tough. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to go with Picard because he's like he. He's the man for all situations. Like mm-hmm. if he's if it's if it's something where he can possibly defuse it, he will do that. Uh, if he really needs to kill you, he'll he'll do that too, pretty damn effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm Team Cisco. Mm-hmm. Cisco all the way. Okay. Now that we've reached the, the end of the show, each of you will receive a commission thanks to your service on this special mission at the rank of full lieutenant. Ooh. So you're getting an upgrade. Uh, what department on the ship would you work in? Weapons. Yeah, just. Just put tactical. Just put me there. All right. Bill, do you remember what you said last time? Uh, I, I said the costume department. Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> Is this, are you the guy that when they call up uh, 20th first century clothing, right. uh, you're the yeah, guy We like, need the undercover clothing for the, the desert <laughs> planets. So. Sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure my self-insert characters in my high school fanfic were usually in the science department. Oh, okay, Can't cool. imagine why. Okay. <laughs> well, we know from the plans that they released of the original series Enterprise that somewhere on that ship there's a bowling alley. So I figure I'm the guy that gives out the rental shoes. Nice. <laughs> In the 23rd century, mm-hmm. have they improved the spray technology, or is it the same old thing? Oh, I, I think I think yeah, it involves transporters. But oh, sure. yeah, they're they're really good with it now. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you for joining me on the show today to talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can, at at EISTpod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page, where can po- people find each of you online? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at A.B. Leisner uh, or on Facebook under William Leisner. You can find me on Twitter at at Naomi Kritzer or on my website, naomikritzer.com. You can find me on Twitter at Stealthy Geek. You can find me on Facebook at Patrick S. Tomlinson, author. And you can find me at my website, www.patricksstomlinson.com. No H, T-O-M-L-I-N-S-O-N. And for me, if you go to www.christopherjonesart.com, that has links to all my social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and more. It redirects straight to porn sites. I've, I went there before we came <laughs> here. And porn sites. I wasn't going to say that, but it's true, <laughs> and I highly recommend them all. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say, if you're interested in learning more about the history of Khan, author Greg Cox, a former guest of the show, has a trio of novels about the life of Khan Noonie and Singh um, called The Eugenics Wars and To Reign in Hell, and they are extrapolations of those uh, stories, so they're very interesting. Also, if you can't get enough of earworms, like Chekhov, head to the Cabana <laughs> Room 103 for the earworm party. Uh, it's a room celebrating the worm creatures of classic sci-fi, but also the catchy songs you can't get out of your head. So stop by for a drink and a dance and gummy worms, I'm thinking. I mean, if they've done their homework, there's gonna be gummy worms there for sure. So uh, please check that out. Tell them Enterprising Individuals sent you. Thanks again to the panel for joining me on the show. You've been great. Thanks to the live audience here at Convergence 2017. Give our panel a hand, please. Give yourselves a hand. Thanks again. We're signing off until the next mission, hailing frequencies closed. So